Welcome back to the Talking Thomas Podcaster podcast for all things Thomas and Friends, Shining the Time Station, Railway Series, etc. I'm Tony. And I'm Orion. And it is, once again, that wonderful time of year, a time for spooks and surprises, pumpkins, ghosts, witches, goblins, all that good stuff. It is, once again, Halloween. So um, we're here doing our second Halloween special. We did a Halloween special last year where we did the Shining Time Station season one episode, uh, Things That Go to Hooga in the Night. And we're back in the land of Shining Time Station again, but this time doing the uh, second Halloween episode as well as the first episode of season two scare dares so uh that is of course available in various places to watch so once you've got that pulled up you can press play now season two of shining the time station now we've talked about this in a few of our other uh commentaries although we really haven't done that many on season two as far as i can recall uh, but season two is kind of all changed for the show. The first season had a totally different intro uh, with sort of a clip show opening. It had, of course, Jason Walliner and Nicole Leach. Uh, and they're in this episode, but this would be their second to last appearance, if I'm correct. What's interesting is that... Uh... You know this. This being the season premiere, even though it is a Halloween, uh, Halloweenish episode, um, it, it it premiered in late November uh, of nineteen ninety one. So, continuing the tradition of Shiny Time Station holiday themed episodes that air nowhere near their actual holiday, other than Tizigan. I was going to say, this is kind of a running joke that we've had throughout this podcast. Whenever we do holiday-based episodes of Shining the Time, uh, we've always found that they air completely away from the holiday that they're supposed to represent. Um, This one, at least, is close. It's not like like the last Halloween episode, which was in mid-summer. So... um, now, of course, we get our first introduction to the new set of kids, Dan, Becky, and Kara. Yes, and this is two years after. Uh, uh, this is, of course, uh, you know, two years after the first season and uh, Nicole Leach has gotten quite a bit taller. <laughs> yeah, she she and Jason Walliner have grown quite a bit since uh, Is This the End? And and they, they've grown even since Tis a Gift, because, of course, Tis a Gift was in 1990. This was in 1991. And so, you know, even in just a year, they've grown quite a bit. But of course, yep, this is our introduction to all these new characters, um, you know, Billy and, uh, and then we also, of course, get um, 
uh, our introduction to George Carlin as Mr. Conductor, which we saw briefly in the opening, but uh, we'll get uh, more of him later. And this was the first season that was shot in Toronto as well. Yes, they moved from New York to Toronto, and uh, I I gotta say they did a pretty good job of recreating this original set. I mean, obviously it looks slightly different because it is a different set, but for the most part, there aren't that many major changes, except that it looks at it looks. I think it looks a little nicer myself, but other than that, not much about it has changed. No, I would say also from season two onwards, there seems to be more of a focus on um, a lot of incidental music throughout, um, whereas the first season often had, or at least I should say more fun incidental music, almost more cartoony music, whereas the first season had a lot more kind of slow, sentimental music throughout that was a bit more, um, uh, like I said, charming um, like the first season is very slow, very charming. Um, but this is where it got more into the vibe that would continue on for the rest of the series. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um... <laughs> Mr. Nutu's costume there is interesting. Yes, and it's nice that we get an introduction to this, to the George Carlin incarnation of the character. It is. I mean, especially with seeing Ringo's Mr. Conductor leave at the end of Tis a Gift, even though we didn't know that he was leaving. Um, you know, ha- seeing him leave at the end of that, it was uh, it was a nice touch to have. Uh... This episode, I think, is a nice transition between, you know, it's saying goodbye to all of our season one stuff and getting on with season two. And of course, we'd see Matt and Tanya once more uh, halfway through season two, but... Uh... Good transition episode. Now, here we come to our first Thomas story for this one. And it's a story that we've already heard, uh, although this one done by George Carlin rather than Mr. Conductor. And it is, of course, Percy's ghostly trick. Well, and it works as well because he's telling it to two new characters who wouldn't have heard it before. That's true. I mean, he is telling it to Dan and Kara. Interesting, also, um, something I, I did want to mention here, since Jason Warliner is in this episode, um, is that actually, you know, uh, in, in current news, anyway, um, Jason Warliner uh, directed um, one of the most popular films that's out currently, uh, which is uh, Borat, subsequent movie film. Uh, Jason Warliner, for those who, who aren't familiar, he has become a comedy director, um, mostly of TV shows. This is the first movie that he's directed, I believe, or he might have directed a TV movie before. But um, he doesn't really do anything in front of the camera anymore, but uh, writes and directs. And uh, he, he just directed um, uh, a, a recent uh, film, recent as of this recording anyway. Um, so it's just you know quite interesting. He's still pretty active and, and easily pro- probably the most, um, the most active of anyone who was on Chinatown Station, at least of the kids. I had no idea that he directed the new Borat film. That's really cool, actually. Mm-hmm. That's that's really neat. Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, good for him. That's that's great. Probably has done the most of any of the uh, the kids 
since Shining Time, of course, you know. Um, and he stopped acting at a very young age as well. I mean, he didn't really do anything um, super um, big, I think, acting-wise after Shining Time. So he was in he was in the movie Weekend at Bernie's in 1989 with um, the same year that he was on Shining Time. Um, but uh, but other than that, very very little else. Oh, wow. So 1991 is kind of the end of his, if not the very end, then one of his last uh, years acting. That's interesting. <clears throat> and of course, this is the first time that any um, uh, any kids would have heard George Carlin's narrations. Um, I believe it would any v, had any VHSs been released yet of George Carlin's narrations? Not narration? to my knowledge. Uh, I could be totally wrong about that, but not to my knowledge. This would have been, I believe, the first time that a George Carlin narration would have been... It, that might not be true. I don't know exactly when the Trust Thomas VHS came out, but uh, which was our first exposure to George Carlin. But um, I don't recall exactly when that came out, but it came out I want to say around the same time as this. So if there had been any, um, well, I would imagine, I would imagine that would have been 92. Right. Since some of, uh, since some of season three was shot, you know, whereas later, um, you know, since the first batch of season three episodes were used for this season of shining time. So that's true. That's, that's a good point. Um, so it's, it's possible that, uh, that, you know, the trust Thomas VHS was probably out, but this would have been the first time hearing an American voice doing this story, Percy's ghostly trick. So, and it's of course a welcome transition. I mean, I, I don't think it's a secret, um, for, uh, for anyone who listens to our show that George Carlin is our favorite narrator. Um, and we, we gush about him all the time. <laughs> oh yes. And there'll be a lot more of that once season three starts, because I mean, obviously even though he re-narrated most of season two and parts of season one, he narrated all of three and four. So. And I mean, it should be said here also, you know, just the, in a, to put this in context, um, this was a very bold move to have George Carlin be the narrator, um, and to more specifically, his main role was as as uh, as Mister Conductor. Um, that's how most people would have known him because the the videos hadn't really taken off as their own entity quite yet. Um, Shining Time Station was still the main vehicle for uh, through which most. Um, families would have been watching Thomas episodes at this time, um, but that would change pretty much within a year. I would say as more Thomas videos uh, got pumped into the marketplace, um, it really got more known as a, as a video series than as, than as being as heavily uh, displayed through Shining Time, even though it was still marketed as, you know, as seen on Shining Time Station um, on the tapes and on the uh, merchandise. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, it's, and it was a very bold move to bring in George Carlin. And I've, there was an interview that happened relatively shortly before his passing, where he said that he wanted to do it 
you know, to show a different side of himself because, you know, everyone's of course familiar with George Carlin, the comedian, the guy that came up with the seven words you can't say on television, uh, all that stuff. But he wanted to show a softer side, a side that, you know, that he could be uh, good with children at times. And so uh, I, it, it was a bold move and it really paid off spectacularly. I agree. I mean, he is just a phenomenal narrator. He was, it's a role he was born to play. He's, his voice is so good. He has such enthusiasm. Um, I like his Scottish outfit here too, the kilt and, <laughs> um, and everything. It's fun. <laughs> it is. Now, the thing I'm noticing more and more throughout the, because uh, it's been a while since I watched this episode, the thing I notice more and more is that for being a transition episode, we don't see a lot of Matt and Tanya. We see more of Tanya, but not very much of Matt at all in this episode so far, at least. And once again, we have uh, the Anything Tunnel here. So, uh, you know, it's um, using different uh, snippets of. Uh, mostly at the time, probably um, public domain uh, cartoon footage here to to assemble into some sort of rough music video. Yes. Um, now this song is called "What Am I Afraid Of," and I I have certain memories of watching Shining the Time Station as a young child, and this music video for some reason is one of my most um, vivid memories. I, I don't know why, but I have vivid memories specifically of this music video. It just struck a chord with me. It really, something about, I, for, for the long, un, until I discovered um, the, until I rediscovered the series on YouTube several years ago, I could remember barely any of this episode but I always remembered what am I afraid of? Hmm. And is this, um, and this is uh, sung by the same person who's saying, um, uh, start where you are in the pilot. It sounds like it. Uh, I'd be very I, surprised I, I can't remember his name, but it's, uh, it, it really sounds exactly the same. <laughs> I'm sure it probably is. Um, I don't know. We'll have to check the end credits to see if they credit the singer in uh, in uh, the end credits for this. But I don't recall if they do or not. Uh, it it might well be the same person. I have no idea. Well, this is nice. It's a nice little um, once it, you know, early Shining Temptation had so many different uh, kind of pieces of media throughout. Uh, we would have a uh, jukebox song and anything tunnel, the magic bubble, the, uh, the uh, Thomas, two Thomas stories, you know, so, uh, so much uh, going on to reinforce the, the core of the story, which later would be um, those would slowly start to be pushed aside as the the main 
narrative thrust of each episode became a bit more you know complicated and uh and uh more screen time was devoted to the other actual human characters that is interesting isn't it um the whole thing with uh with what you were saying i i hadn't really thought about that but you're right they they really do focus more on the uh variety show aspect that Shining Time was in its first season, which, as you said, slowly fell by the wayside. But it's nice to see that continuing, at least into early season two. And and here we finally meet Becky, because uh, I said that this is our introduction to all three of the new kids. Uh, now, strangely, Becky appears in, if not every, then almost every episode of season two, and yet she wasn't credited as a main character until season three. Right, again, probably just something contractual. Um... I'm sure. And here we have our first glimpse of a season three episode on Shining Time Station. Yes. Um, um, and the first episode for which uh, George Carlin would have been the original narrator. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because you, you wonder if, um, if, if kids at the time would have even noticed um, that this has quite a different look to any of the other Thomas stories they would have been uh, been seeing. It's it's brighter. Um, it just has a whole different look to it uh, than the other two seasons worth of episodes they had seen um, already. Um, but it, it, I, I'm not sure that they would have. I mean, I know as, as a kid, I never really, uh, maybe, maybe subconsciously, but never really could pinpoint that, that difference. But, uh, but within an episode, it is interesting, you know, seeing ghost train first, and then this, they they look so different, especially in terms of lighting. Yeah, I never really noticed this when I was a kid. I mean, obviously, as an adult now, it's it's very obvious because they do have an entirely different style. But, uh, you know, as a kid, I just kind of accepted it. And I think most people just kind of accepted that, yes, this it's the same show, you know, Um because you know the characters themselves even though everything else about it has changed the characters still look mostly the same and so i think that that there's there's a point at which children are willing to accept differences as long as the main focus stays mostly the same and so you know i i don't know if that's correct or not or if i'm just grasping at straws here but that's my theory no absolutely and it's also interesting that you know for this first episode of season two of shining tub station the first episode of season three that we're using um here and it is not it's it's not a railway series story so immediately right from the get-go brit is using an episode that uh you know that she and david mitten wrote or at least was based on a magazine story whichever um for for season three because they didn't have another episode that was suitable that was based on the railway series in terms of something scary so yeah it's it's based on the andrew brenner magazine story but uh but yes britain uh david mitten rewrote it or adapted it rather uh but yes that is interesting i think um and it does set sort of the precedent for what would become the norm throughout all of season three really in that we would have uh almost half a season worth of 
Audrey stories and then half a season of uh, Brenner penned um, well adaptations of Brenner stories. Or magazine stories. They weren't they weren't all written by Andrew Brenner, but a lot of them were. So and we'll dive more into the specifics of this particular Thomas episode when we do our commentary, um, which will be uh, hopefully quite soon. Yeah, I would hope so, because now that we're doing the Halloween special, uh, we we probably should be able to start season three fairly soon after this, I would think. Um, yeah. But in general, um, this is uh, one of the episodes I like more from season three. In terms of the in terms of the original stories that that aren't based on railway series stories, it's one of the ones I like more. It's a very good episode, uh, and the Chinese dragon would pop up every now and then, uh, both in the magazines and once or twice in the show. I was very surprised to see that the Chinese dragon pops up once or twice in the show. Uh, but I think I, I love the design of the ja- of the dragon itself. It's such an intricate design for what is a prop that's only used in one episode. Now, bear in mind it it's seen throughout the bulk of the episode, but it's a really intricate prop, you know? True. Yeah. And it, it that episode, it just feels so season three. Um, and it, it feels so, um, I should say it feels so non Audrey season three, um, in terms of the way that those, the stories were written. Um, it, it feels very non railway series, um, which isn't, which I'm, not necessarily a bad thing, but it just, it, it's so, uh, it's just a, a pure example of that era of, of Thomas story. Oh, definitely. It's, it's a very, very different story to any that we would have seen before in shining time. Now, of course, uh, you know, of, of course, Tanya has has a tall hat, but she really is so much taller than the other kids. Yes. Um, at this point. Yes. And here's the dare part of scare dares. Yes. And I've always found this bit interesting that um, Dan finds Billy intimidating because, you know, we've, we've always seen Billy as this very gentle person. And I, I guess to a young child, you know, this tall, darker, complexed man might seem a little bit intimidating, I guess. But knowing what we know of Billy, he's, he's such a soft, uh, soft presence and, I think that really comes across well. Tom Jackson, fantastic actor. I for for his part in the show, I, at least I think. Um, I I really love Billy. He's one of my favorites, and not that I didn't like Harry. I just think Billy. I like Billy more. No, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I I definitely prefer Billy over over Harry, and uh, and I guess. 
the idea was that they were kind of trying to set set this up similar to the way that uh, that Matt was scared of of Harry in in season one. Dan scared of Billy for I don't know all five minutes in this episode, um, but uh, but kind of trying to hit that same that same beat, but it doesn't quite pan out that way. Um, but uh, but yeah. I like all the pumpkins around the station too. It's a nice, nice look. It's a really nice touch. It's uh, I, they did some decent decorating back in um, things that go to Who in the night, but I think this is a lot more intricately decorated than than that episode. And this, I mean, just in general, is a much better episode. I think than things that go to Who things like Okahooga in the night um, in terms of, you know, it has that season two, uh, it has the speed to it that was missing in season one. Yes. Basically everything in season one was, took twice as long as it does in season two and, and onward. Um, just very slow compared to this. Yes. <laughs> now this, um, I, I've always loved this scene with Steamer running around with the jack-o'-lantern on his head. Um, but I'm, I'm a big music buff. And recently, uh, I was working on uh, my own Halloween show for a radio show that I do. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the songs that I played is The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead by XTC, which was more popularly covered by Crash Test Dummies. Uh, the video for The Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead, uh, the uh, Crash Test Dummies version, is quite humorous when when taken in a similar context to Steamer running around with a jack lantern on his head. So. Once again, they're kind of trying to stick with the train theme for the Jukebox Papa Band with midnight express yeah which which it's a fine song you know and it it kind of works i like the costumes particularly for the for the buck puppet band they're, they're fun oh the costumes are great um yeah and it's nice that they have a little bit of like you know fog down there too mm. um and the little pumpkin on on tito's piano yeah and the skeleton there in the back Oh, that's right. I barely, I didn't notice the skeleton. That's really cute. Now, of course, Olga Marin also plays the uh, ghost. So it's interesting to see her doing double duty this episode one of the few times that uh, one of the flexitune uh, actors would do double duty of course craig Marin later did it as uh, uh, both tets and jj uh, silvers but uh, it's interesting uh, that olga also pulled the double duty in this one and i love the skeleton that's sitting on the bench uh just relaxing at the um at the top of the steps there that is that is quite funny. Oh my, it's a rather extreme close up.
I like this little trick that uh, Mr. Conductor pulls on Steamer with the jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> and this would really set up this Mr. Conductor as sort of like the uh, as a, more of a joker than uh, the previous one. Uh, Ringo's Mr. Conductor was a lot more he had moments of levity, but he was a lot more serious, a lot more of the straight man. And uh... well, I mean, and it's to, I mean, to be honest, really, the the Ringo Stark Mister Conductor didn't really have much of a uh, much of a character. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I mean, he he was kind of just there at, to facilitate the Thomas stories, um, and occasionally, you know, pass down a moral or something like that. But there really wasn't much of a character there. I feel like they really developed the actual character of Mr. Conductor with George Carlin. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that George Carlin is a true, was, was a, a performer personality in terms of, he was a, a comedian who, who had done some acting, but you know, mostly a, a comedian, but at least had some sort of actual performer presence. Whereas Ringo Starr is, uh, he was not the most uh, outgoing of the Beatles, obviously, right? Um, as as the drummer, and never really. I mean, he he was in some movies, but I mean, not really any ones that are all that notable. <laughs> um, Caveman, um, <laughs> and other and other films, but you know, it he was not as much of a performer personality, other than maybe in a music context, which is something completely different. So George Carlin really bestowed his own personality onto. This, uh, this character and uh, I, I feel made it a, a true actual uh, three-dimensional character as opposed to just kind of a more of a uh, a tool for the Thomas stories as Ringo was in season one. Oh, I definitely agree. Um, you know, and, and that makes perfect sense as well. I think it's, it, it makes a lot more sense and, Thank goodness we did get George Carlin, though, because I, I can't think of anyone better to be Mr. Conductor and a Thomas narrator than George Carlin. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm sorry, I called uh, I called the Jukebox Puppet Band song Midnight Express earlier. It was Midnight Special. Right. Um, right. Uh, I, I knew we were talking over the credits just there, but I, I was checking and no, they do not credit the uh, singer of What Am I Afraid Of? Uh, they do they do list what am I afraid of in the credits as a song that was used, but um, it's it they don't say who sang it, which I kind of well, and it's it is interesting that it said that it was written by David Shire, um, of uh, uh, who wrote um, some of the music for uh, Saturday Night Fever. He was uh, he wrote uh, quite a few uh, disco songs and um, was a uh, was a film composer. That is interesting. Very nice. So, Scare Dares, um, overall, I think that it was a much better episode than Thins That Go to Hooga in the Night, but, uh, and it was a nice setup for season two, you know, we, uh, even though we would see them one more time, uh, we got to say goodbye to Madden Tanya, and we got to meet Dan, Becky, and Kara, uh, we got to meet Billy, and the new Mr. Conductor, all of whom would become the norm in Shining Time Station, and really the version that more people are familiar with, I don't know... I'm sure there are some people that grew up in, like that 
watched it in 1989 when it first came out that are more familiar with Harry and uh, Matt and Tanya. But when I think Shining Time Station, I think of Stacy and Billy and Steamer and Dan, Becky and Kara and George Carlin as Mr. Conductor. So it, it really was the introduction to the Shining Time Station as I, that I grew up with really. Because aside from, aside from the videotape of Tis a Gift, I really hadn't seen much of season one until I was older. But... Right, yeah, and I would say that that's the case for most people um, because none of season one was released on VHS. So unless you had taped it, um, then you would not have seen. Uh, you know, then, then there would have really been no way to watch and rewatch uh, episodes from that season. Right. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, but I I think it was a really great opener to the season. Uh, What are your final thoughts on that story? Yeah, I thought uh, much, as you said, much better episode than than things like Okahooga in the Night from the previous season. Great way to kick off season two of of Shining Time. So um, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, happy Halloween. You can uh, find us on Twitter at TalkingThomas1. Facebook.com slash TalkingThomasPod. We're also uh, available, of course, to listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anchor is our home. And uh, as I said, thanks for listening and happy Halloween. Yes, thank you all very much. And we hope that you have a great Halloween.